mini episode 1281 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1281. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris. And we are here for our third annual Don Coster Memorial Tribute on the show. We usually do it as a preview of the baseball season, but we weren't able to do that in July. So we have gathered the usual suspects here, my longtime friends. First of all, FDH Lounge dignitary Ken Detweiler and also FDH Lounge dignitary Steve Callis. Uh, of course, again, just to recap for everybody, uh, Ken and I first met at the late lamented Sports Talk Network back in 2004 uh, when <laughs> he asked me to sit in as his sidekick for a little bit here because his brother-in-law, Don Coster, was his sidekick for his new baseball show. But even then, unfortunately, there would be some health problems that would flare up with Don from time to time. So Don and I, over the next couple of years, together and separately, served as Ken's sidekicks on Life's a Pitch with Ken Detweiler, a show which I have often said there's a couple shows at the Sports Talk Network. Of course, Reality Check with Ron Glasnap and Dave Adams, the show that I started uh, doing with them in 2003. That's definitely a precursor to the FDH Lounge. Life's a Pitch with Ken Detweiler definitely is. The main thing where the lounge differs from these other shows is that it covers all subjects. But as far as the spirit of it, as far as the, the conversational uh, banter, everything else about that, there's a couple of shows that really influenced it. So we never got a chance, unfortunately, and this is one of my regrets in life, and as I've said during the previous segments about Don, never take anything for granted. I always assumed I'd get to record some uh, lounge segments with him, and unfortunately he passed away in 2017 and thus started the tradition of the first baseball segment of every year, we're going to do it in his honor. We're going to speak some words about him. And uh, again, we're going to carry on in that tradition this year. So I'm first going to bring in, like I said, my good friend, longtime friend, Ken Detweiler, a uh, man who uh, knew and loved Don Coster uh, more than most people, uh, got a chance to. And uh, Ken, it's, it's one of these things where... You know, we, we've talked about this before, Don's spirit that he brought to life's a pitch and, and everything. And uh, again, uh, it was just uh, magic when you would get in there and when you would be talking baseball with him. It was very knowledgeable, very passionate, very funny. And somebody who, uh, as you commented off air, of course, yes, the script school pedigree from Ohio University here, uh, which is a very prized one, may I say, in, in a very self-serving way. But you know, he had a lot of natural talent and ability. you got to have the personality to be able to do something like this. And Don Coster was, as you and I know, a natural. Yes, he absolutely was. He was a good man. He was a, a man, as we hopefully will be talking about a little bit later in the segment, a man with the zebra up shoulder. And uh, you either enjoyed that, or you didn't, or you just accepted it, which uh, you and I have done over the years with him, and uh, that's probably the best way 
way to handle Don back in the day was just listen to him. And he was uh, an intelligent man and uh, was very good on him, quick on his feet, which is a gift, I guess. Uh, what is, uh, as far as being able to, at a drop of a pen, take the other side and have knowledge to back it up. Yeah, he really could do that, and uh, again, these were things about him, the, the no-filter thing that you and I really cherished, and uh, again, something I must say that I identified with in many ways, and uh, again, Don was really kind of a uh, kindred spirit in, in a lot of ways, and uh, I, I wish I had gotten to spend more time with him over the years. Uh, as I said before, that's sort of one of the enduring uh, lessons of this segment. Is, uh, never take any moments that you have with people for granted because they won't be around forever. And uh, But the spirit of Don Coster obviously lives on every time we do this. Really, every time we flip a mic on, uh, there's influences in having worked with him and been friends with him. And, you know, as we have said previously... Uh, as far as the rationale for doing this in this way, we have done this, uh, we've actually done baseball segments even previous to this where it's been you two guys with me where we'll be looking at stuff. We even managed to get together in town a couple of years ago in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, back when uh, Steve's son was still living in the area here. So that was nice to be able to get yeah. together and record in person. But of course, as we've said the last two times, the rationale for doing this with Steve is that you, if you want to really accurately pay tribute to somebody, uh, you don't want to really have the Phantom Limb segment. You don't want to have it just be the two guys there. You want to have a third man in the booth because the real magic of Life's a Pitch was when the three of us were together. There were excellent segments without me. There were excellent segments without him. But I think he would agree with me in saying it was at its very best when the three of us were together. And in that spirit, you want to have somebody who is excellent at talking baseball, somebody who fits in with you very well. You want to pay tribute to somebody like Don Coster, that's how you do it. You have somebody else in there uh, who is uh, worthy of being in that spot. And without question, without question, that man would be good friend Steve Callis, of course, with the Callis Remarks podcast with good friend Joe Stazak, appearing on Joe's show quite often on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia. Uh, Steve, a pleasure to have you back in, and uh, once again here, uh, in the spirit of Don Coster, it's good to have you in with me and Ken. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Obviously, nobody can replace Don, but it really is an honor to uh, sit in for him, for lack of a better word. But we all love talking baseball, so I'm ready to do it whenever you guys are ready. Well, yeah, and that's a thing. You're an angel, <laughs> too, Steve, by the way, <laughs> for this. I yeah. appreciate that, Ken. No question. I mean, and I, I know I've said this before, perhaps I've said this both times previously, but if we'd known you back in the day, if you'd been on one of our segments, you know, when we'd have gone to commercial break, Donald would have been like, I like this guy. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's, uh, yeah. I'll make it better. Yeah. yeah. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. But you know what? When he did, it meant something. And obviously, uh, I, I think if, if Ken and I both see it, uh, I think we would be right on that, that that's how Don would have seen it. He would have greatly enjoyed doing something with you here. So as I said to both of you guys you know, off air, it, this is one of these things where you, you do this out, we start this as the tribute to Don, and then I, I kind of struggle in my head. The one thing that fortunately I proved to be pretty good at in the course of doing this show is, is finding segues from one point to another, but it's a little bit jarring to move from personal tribute to the baseball talk. I think in this year, 
with the absurdity that Don always loved poking fun at, it is not hard at all. This is the easiest segue I will probably ever have for a Don Coster tribute is talking about the year 2020, because we can only imagine what he would be saying if he were still here, whether it be about the landscape of society and dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, whether it be the sports world, baseball in particular. We don't have to go too far, I think, to, to think about what he would have been saying. And I guess, Ken, I'm just going to start this out with you, and I'm going to start this by throwing out a number of the gimmicks that we have seen this year to try to get through this extremely truncated season, whether it be the seven-inning doubleheaders, the man on second base to start the 10th inning, the purely geographic scheduling where you don't play everybody else in your league, but rather you just play outside of your division, the counterpart division in the other league. So many things on and on and on. I can just sit here, Ken, and imagine all day long what Don would have had to say about this extremely uh, unusual 2020 MLB season. Yeah, I think, uh, and I'll just mention the one that comes to mind right away and then let you guys fill in and take over and whatever, but uh, I think Don and I, in a rare moment, agree on this. Mm -hmm. Um, Starting the guy at second base uh, in extra innings, although I don't think he's going to play a whole lot. I don't know how many figures to back that up or uh, turn that down, but uh, I don't I don't care for that, and I'm pretty sure Don would say, you know, you got a, a, a ghost runner, you got a runner that comes in, not a ghost runner, you just got a runner that you put out there, and that's not baseball. And uh, I'm sure that was one of the things he would have touched on, no doubt. Well, yeah, there's that. Of course, the universal DH, the fact that the National League got it this year, and you got to think once it comes in, it's not coming out. I will just say on that before I turn to Steve and get his thoughts on this, I go back to, and Ken, you will get a lot of uh, laughter about this. So the 2019 Futures game in town here, okay, there was probably at least a quorum from our 20-team keeper league that was at that game. And uh, we were sort of sitting together in, in various groups, uh, myself with our good friend and fellow FDH Lounge dignitary, Dave Adams. And, of course, I was the one guy uh, in the ballpark. You could probably even hear me on TV screaming my lungs out for Brady Singer when he came into pitch. So I was, I was giving him a lot of support. But that game, that might have been the first uh, game affiliated. I know I think one of the independent leagues was trying the runner on second in extra innings. But that might have been the first one officially sanctioned by any branch of Major League Baseball that did that. Of course, that game ended in a tie, but in the uh, in the last inning here, I don't even remember if it went to the 8th inning or the 10th the inning. I don't remember if it was a 7 or 9 inning game, but they started the runner on 2nd, and Ken, we were just sitting there goofing on it, like, okay, what's the tiebreaker? Whoever makes it closer to 3rd base, if neither one of them makes it to 3rd? <laughs> You know, how do you, how do you break the tie? How does this thing end? Do we mark it in the dirt? Who is closer to home plate? That's the level of absurdity that this thing can get to. And uh, again, you know, Steve, I know that you are in many ways a purist as well. And this has not been a year in any way whatsoever lacking for gimmicks. Clearly, easily the most gimmick laden year in the history of Major League Baseball. Well, I thought the man on second took us to Beer League softball on Sunday. No. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. What? I mean, yeah, my goodness gracious. We got to get out of here. We got to get home for dinner or what? I mean, it just it just made my head explode. And you understand the reason 
So I'm assuming this is a one-year thing. You know, they do do it in the minor leagues, which also makes my head explode. Uh, but you can almost understand it in the minor leagues, which, frankly, the way those players are treated is closer to the beer league softball than it is to the major league. Uh, I've said jokingly over the years that if you want to make baseball today the way it used to be, play seven-inning games, because I watched one seven-inning game this year, and it was like two and a half hours. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this would be like the old Yankee Red Sox three-and-a-half, four-hour games for nine innings. So uh, I hope they don't keep that because to me it's not baseball but I'll say it again as you're watching in this pandemic and I'm sure this happened to you guys as it did to me you've got the NBA playoffs you've got the NHL playoffs baseball made a huge mistake not coming back earlier uh, because they were just sitting on each other over money it had nothing to do with yeah. COVID and had they come back three to four weeks earlier they would have had a monopoly for three to four weeks but once they started um you were virtually into the playoffs in NBA and hockey, and now here comes the baseball playoffs, and what do we have? We have the NFL. So I think it's been a problem for them. I don't think Manfred has done a good job. I get you something like the man on second level. I'm dead set against it, even during this. And the seven-inning games are interesting only because when you look at the attention span of younger people, and look, my son is a diehard baseball fan. He's a very good baseball player. He loves basketball. He loves football. He likes hockey. But it kind of became, and, and me, and maybe you guys as well, trying to cover everything, baseball kind of got short shrift until pretty much this last week of the season because you're in the playoffs in hockey, you're in the playoffs in basketball, and the NFL, of course, is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. So I think you're right, Rick, the universal DH is coming. Probably a good idea. It always struck me as bizarre. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a three-point line on one side of the court and not the other, and then every time they go down that way, they can shoot three. But, not, I mean, it, the, the reason I wasn't against it early on was because when they changed it in the in 73, I really thought it was the beginning of maybe having baseball go nine batters, nine fielders, or eight fielders on the pitcher. I thought it was going to become an offense-defense thing like football. That never happened, of course, thankfully. But right yeah. now, I see the universal DH coming. Frankly, I think it's a good thing. Once upon a time, you were a pitcher. You took pride in your hitting. Now, you know, nobody cares, frankly. Maybe Madison Bumgarner with a bunch of home runs cares. But, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. We understand maybe why it had to be. Again, I've said jokingly, when you watch these seven-inning games, I think those guys get complete games, by the way, if they pitch seven innings, which is a whole other right. conversation for another topic. Yeah. Um, but... If you wanted to make it more palatable to young people, baseball would be seven innings, but that would, you know, blow up the record book for the rest of time. So I don't I don't think and I hope that that's not going to happen. But having watched some seven inning games, I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. Two hours, like when we were young, you know, and, and a long game would be two hours and 20 minutes. So we'll leave that for now and we'll get to the team. But the, the man on second almost makes me puke as a purist. Sure, sure. And that's, you know, let me just ask you a quick follow-up, though, on that, Steve, because, I mean, you raised a couple of interesting points there. But going forward, I mean, this is a thing where when you look at all the things that are being looked at to try to lure in younger viewers, uh, because who have the, the, the slower, the, the shorter attention spans, I'm almost wondering if the seven-inning game 
isn't less offensive than many of the other things they might be turning to. Plus, you would have starters going longer into the games. You would have less pitching changes. Pitching changes, the incessant ones, are what's slowing down the game. By the way, speaking of gimmicks, and this might have been a useful one, but nevertheless, it's a gimmick. The rule this year that you had to face three batters minimum in relief, you could do away with that rule if you had seven inning games. So I, I almost wonder, because like you said, there's the record book, there's the, you know, the, the, the prospect of bastardizing it, but in terms of the other bastardization that might come, in terms of trying to make the game more accessible, I almost wonder if the seven-inning game isn't the lesser of some of these evils. Well, I don't disagree with that. Again, I've said it jokingly over the years. Now that we've actually seen it, I'm sitting there going, on the one hand, it's not, and I know some purists like me who are like, uh, seven innings is not baseball. Um, but, again, given the surrounding, for example, are they going to have more playoff teams now? Because the regular season has been so cheapened in every other sport. Baseball was the last, I remember when the wild card was instituted, and I said, you know, baseball is the last sport to have you not win anything, not win your division, or before that, not win the pennant, and maybe win the World Series. And I think like in 2002 or something, the Angels won as a wild card. I didn't like that. But now everything is about the playoffs. Nobody wants to know anymore, did you come in first during the regular season? I can remember um, when you were like a 500 baseball team and you'd finish, I don't know, fifth place in the 18 AL, NL in the old, old days. And you go, wow, we have 500, we'll be good next year. Now you've got six teams today fighting for a playoff spot. And, you know, three of them are under 500. It's just, same in football, you know, you're... Uh, Five and seven. Oh, if we win our last four, we can make the playoffs at nine and seven. You know, somebody in the uh, NFC East is going to be eight and eight this year and win a division. Whatever happened to not rewarding mediocrity? And to me, that's what you have now in sports, and it's cheapened the, the uh, regular season. And to have 16 teams in their mind is what? We're going to make more money in the playoffs. So I'm afraid that something like that might happen next year as well. I hope not. Uh, and again, the regular season is just so cheapened in everything, and now baseball is going that way. Starting this year, we'll see what happens next year. Well, yeah, yeah I would agree with that. And Oh, that's right. That's right. And Ken, I want to ask you, in terms of uh, some of these things that, that have been bandied about to try to make the game more accessible here uh, to a younger demographic, what's your sense of if the seven-inning game is the lesser of some of these evils, or if it's if it's something that you think is just a complete bastardization? How do you see it going forward? Well, this is, I, I agree with Steve. I, well, you know, I'm the traditionalist in the nine innings I liked, but the games are going way too long for whatever reason. And, yeah. uh, and one, of the, one of the reasons they were trying to shorten it was this idiotic thing of second base, which we started off with. Uh, however, the games are going longer now, or as long as they did previously. And having been a high school baseball coach all the next year, will probably be, uh, be my 50th year coaching high school. It's seven and Wow. Wow. Um, it's, uh, I, I like seven you're in and out. It's, it's crisp. It, it go fast, and uh, you want to shorten the games. I right, let's go seven innings, and uh, maybe it's like the dead ball here in some ways. You know, although the records, baseball is such a stat-oriented uh, sport. Uh, yeah, I, I, Steve's got me thinking now too. Again, which I I always enjoy, but yet I. I go, yeah, that makes sense, but damn it, this is the way it's always been. 
always been, you know. So, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, I I I, I could see myself casting a vote for the seven innings. Very interesting, yeah. And in looking at it, this is one of these things where. Uh, again, baseball going forward has to examine uh, what they're going to be doing. And uh, again, I don't look for it to be on a widespread basis. But yeah, that that is something that is potentially the lesser than some of these other evils in terms of shortening the game. Because as we've mentioned, some of the things that have been tried to shorten the game have failed. In looking a little bit more directly here at the postseason again, we are going to go super, super, super big picture. Because with the blur of games that are going to be happening in the first round here, uh, the whole notion of, let's go inside the numbers in this matchup in the wild card. Best two out of three. Does not make sense. Doesn't make sense on any level, folks. We're not even going to try it. It's all pretty much, uh, you, you get outside of the top teams and it's pretty random. It's not like seeds really mean anything. In a year when the Yankees are, uh, as of this taping on the last day of the season, the five seed, uh, seeds don't really mean a whole lot if that's the case. Because you'd pretty much, I would guess, in the American League, rather stay out of their way than do anything else, basically. But in, in looking at this here, Steve, this is one of these things where this this season, in a way, Going into the playoffs, you almost have the aspect of pre-interleague ball coming back when in the World Series the American League and National League teams definitely hadn't seen one another. We'll be seeing that as soon as the first round matchups here because of the whole thing of, again, you only play within your own division and the counterpart division in the other league. So there will be so many teams from the first round of the playoffs all the way through that have not faced uh, the team at all in the regular season that they're going to be playing. Now, this is a thing where, uh, and, and I know a man uh, near and dear to your heart, uh, Steve Callis, because he's the son of your uh, high school basketball coach, Michael Malone. We talked about this, Ben Chu and I, going into the NBA preview when we said, you know, you look at Michael Porter Jr. We thought ball ball also, but th- you have a chance to weaponize the unfamiliarity. And uh, Michael Malone, being the very smart guy that he did, he at least turned Michael Porter Jr. loose. I guess Porter will say it took a lot of prodding, but be that as it may, Michael Malone was smart enough to do that. It was a key to them making it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. And I look at this in baseball, and the guy that I'm going to throw out for as an example would be Tristan McKenzie from the Indians, the, the longtime pitching prospect who, this he's been hurt for the last two years, but this year they just said, you know what, what the heck, we're going to bring the guy up in there, we need arms. And he has done very, very well in the time that he has been in there. He probably will be in the bullpen more than in the starting rotation in the postseason. But be that as it may, it's going to be one of these things where, yes, there's film on him. Whereas there wasn't a lot of film on Michael Porter Jr. in the rotation for for Denver. You, You had film on him, but not in a regular role. So this is not exactly the same as what happened in the NHL and the NBA bubbles when they would throw guys in there. And by the way, in the NHL bubble, outside of uh, Miro Heiskanen, there really hasn't been anybody, I think, that's really stepped up to that kind of a degree the way that Porter and and many of the others have in the NBA bubble. But I wonder going into this, yes, there's going to be film of these guys from this year. You're going to have film to look at, but you're not going to have the direct experience of going up against somebody and this is going to be a factor going all the way through the playoffs the unfamiliarity and matchups yeah it's actually uh, fascinating to me and and what's most interesting is so you have a team like the yankees and you're correct they could be the fifth seed or whatever but you know as we take this right before the final all the games at 305 this afternoon if the yankees lose and the blue jays win the yankees are the number eight seed Wow. And I, I, 
I've actually been um, half-jokingly saying, you know, maybe the Yankees should dump because I like the Yankees to win it all before the season started. Um, and I may even pick them now when we do our picks. I'm still on the fence. But Tampa Bay, if you ask me, Tampa Bay is probably a better baseball team than the Yankees, which is hard to believe. But if I'm the Yankees and I pick up, and I pick up not a better baseball team than Tampa, do I want to play them best of three, best of five, best of seven? Of course I want to play them best of three. I can throw out my call there for at least one game, you know, hope for the best after that. And I got the big boppers who are at least healthy. So I knew there was no real advantage to being, for example, the number one seed, except you get home field advantage, which I guess it's still an advantage because you sleep in your own bed and all that. Obviously, there's no fans there, so it's not the gigantic advantage it could be. Uh, but I'll say it again. You want to get these guys early if you could play a best of three, if you think they are better than you. And I think certainly for the season, and look, a lot of people pick Tampa Bay to win the East. They want to surprise. I mean, I thought it was Joe Madden for years. Now Kevin Cash has proven himself as an excellent manager. They still do more with less than any team in baseball, and it's been like that for many years now. They don't get the top draft picks like they did, you know, when they got David Price and Rocco Baldelli and a bunch of other really good, uh, Josh Hamilton, if you come way back. Um, but I think it's interesting. I think you make a good point about the the – this goes back to before interleague when we were young and you didn't, it was like a big deal. You know, oh, the Yankees are going to play the Cardinals. They maybe played them once in spring training or never saw them at all. And I think you're also right, Rick, in that, you know, it's common in all sports. Um, you can watch all the film you want in the basketball game. You can watch, you don't really know the speed of the game. It's the same in baseball. You can watch a guy throw 100 pitches. But until you get in there and see his breaking ball, does his fastball move? How about his curveball? Is it different? Can you pick it up out of his hand? There's so many things you don't see until you step into the batter's box against that actual guy. Uh, so I think it's going to be the pitchers have the advantage. Although, and I don't want to go off in a riff about this, the home runs this year struck me like the home runs last year. I'll only say one thing. The New York Yankees hit 19 home runs in the three-game series. And it's the all-time record for home runs in the series, whether it's two, three, four, five, or I don't know if they ever had a six-game series, but nobody's hit more than 19, 19 more home runs in the series. And to me, purist, there's still something wrong with that. I, I would agree yes. with that. I definitely would. And uh, I want to turn to you, Ken, and ask you about this because uh, from, you know, as you referenced before, your decades of experience in coaching in baseball – uh, plus your other experience with baseball, the whole notion of seeing somebody versus just having film of them. There's there's going to be a lot of film study in the days to come. I'm, I'm sure it's already happening. The advanced scouts are hard at work on this stuff here. But you're going to have more unfamiliarity in these playoffs, head-to-head, -head, than you've had really ever before. Because even before uh, interleague play, uh, you you know basically you, you had what ninety five and ninety six uh, you had just the two rounds of the, uh, the, the 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 league playoffs here most of the time prior to that it was just the league championship series and the world series we are going to have multiple 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 series this year where there is unfamiliarity firsthand between the two teams involved and uh, I, I would love to know what your thoughts are on the effects of that. First of all, I think like Steve just said with the Yankees dropping down to the eighth seed and stuff like that. I see that the pitching in, in these short series, whoever has the best pitching, and I'm still on a broad brush or painting this with a broad brush, which is always my downfall. <laughs> um, 
However, I see that the, the three-game series, whoever has the best pitch is going to hang in there for a lot. But when you get into the longer series, like the Yankees, I don't know that they have the pitching to go against some of these other teams that you've got, that you've got a seven-game series. Uh, they've got the sticks and the heads, hitters. And Cleveland, on the other hand, they'll have the pitching, but gosh, that bottom third of the lineup, you might as well put the three of us in there. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, come on, they're all for the season practically, some of these guys, yeah. especially their catcher, uh, as far as the Indians go. So I think the pitching is going to, unlike a lot of uh, series of the Caps, it's just going to be different this way because uh, the Yankees, I think, are going to be really tough. They've got great number one and number two. Uh, Tampa, I'm not sold on their pitching totally either going forward. But I look at some of these guys, the Indians have got great pitching, but they have no hitting. So there's a real mix out of here. I wish I could answer this better than a politician, but I guess I'm not. <laughs> uh, in this case, I don't even have a prompter in front of me. So, uh, play out where, again, playing about three-eighths of a normal season, you talk about this the way that sample sizes make things so weird. It just goes to show you uh, how uh, just distorted everything is. And ultimately, again, yeah, the fact that the, the, there's no buy for the one seed, the two seed, whatever, this is a thing where, again, like, I, the, for the Dodgers that are something like 40 and 17 right now, for them not to be guaranteed a spot in the second round is just ridiculous. But uh, and again, you wouldn't think they're going to dump to an eight seed. But the shorter the series, the more random it is. And uh, again, we are subjecting even the great teams like the Dodgers to this, possibly to the detriment of baseball. Because I don't think you could say it's good for baseball to have a uh, dominant number one seed in the LA Dodgers, not even in the league divisional series. But it is not impossible. And yes, Ken, for your point about the uh, the Indians lineup, which has been something I've ranted about for years here on and off, this is taking us back to the salad days of what was it, 05, 06, with like the the killer, non, or non killer bees of Bell, Boone, Broussard, whatever it was at the time. I mean, just, yeah, the the fetid caca of those days. uh, We've seen that again this year from this Indians lineup, and, and particularly the outfield, and it has been infuriating because the starting pitching uh, has been very much on point the whole way through. Even after giving away Clevenger for a bag of of balls here, uh, even even without that, that shows you how much uh, depth there's been. But this is a thing, as as we look at this uh, here and, and how this is likely to play out throughout the month of October, Steve, you're looking at it where you get through the uh the what is going to be a blur in this next week here i was looking at it eight games a day wednesday and potentially thursday depending on how long some of these series go games starting on the hour during the daytime uh espn i think espn two and i know abc first time playoff games have been on abc or any baseball since 1995 
and then TBS has one of the first round series as well. And then you get into the second round, the, the divisional series, and it looks a little bit more familiar of where it's just going to be at that point on Fox slash Fox Sports 1 on the one hand, TBS on the other hand, but League Divisional Series, League Championship Series, because those ones on the World Series will be in a quote-unquote bubble, and I we might be throwing bubble around loosely right now as far as what it is. If the players are just going right from the hotel to the ballpark, then it's a bubble, but uh, I, I'm not sure I agree with this. There was actually a physical campus in Orlando, Toronto, and Edmonton, uh, that everybody was confined within. That was a bubble. This MLB thing, I don't know if it's a literal bubble or not. Uh, we'll have to see. But anyways, no travel days in the LCS and the LDS because there's no travel. You get to your site, so the LDS will play out over five days, up to five days. The LCS will play out up to seven days. One would think that would affect a lot, particularly as far as pitching, and uh, I would think that the composition of these postseason rosters, Steve, uh, would probably be tilted to make sure that you get enough fresh arms in there because you're going to have guys getting used an awful lot. You want to make sure you don't wear them out. But thoughts on how the format beyond the first round is going to play out this year for these teams? Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the first round, of course, because it's three days straight, is going to affect the pitching, obviously, into the next round, which is best of five. Um, I think it's good, and you've heard a lot of the basketball players say, well, you know, we don't really have to travel anywhere, so we're fresh. Even even the few times they had to go back-to-back, not really in the playoffs. Now, in the NHL, they went back-to-back the last two nights, and they went double overtime last night, so that has to be tough. Yeah, I thought that but was Bush last- League. I, I, yeah. I think it's Bush League to do it in the finals. Well, you know why they did it. They right. don't want to fight football. Right. I mean, it's just it's just disgusting. I would rather they have waited. Yes. Monday or Wait Tuesday. the Monday. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and look, uh, maybe it's all about the money. I really have no idea. But I agree with that. I think it's the first time since the 60s in the NHL. But I think the bigger point is nobody really has to get on a plane and fly cross-country or go. You know, I think somebody complained um, because of the final are in Edmonton. I think one team complained that they were flying from Toronto to Edmonton. <laughs> which I thought, wow. which I, thought, I guess it was only the final, so, so maybe it was... Um, you know, maybe it was Tampa Bay, I don't know. But I saw, I heard some complaints. It's like the first time you got to play in six or seven or eight weeks, whatever it's yeah. been, because it really is the second season in hockey and basketball. And now, I guess, in baseball, too, this year anyway. So yeah. I think I think both of you guys are right. It's pitching, 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 which would, again, take me back. Think if it was seven innings now, as Ken said before, it would be like the way it was in nine innings without the four middle relievers. Or you said, Rick, the 15-minute delay for pitching changes in right. the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings, um, which we'd all vote. We'd all vote for that. But I think, yeah, yeah I, I think you know, can you use your closer? Are you going to use them three days in a row as opposed to normally two? And the other thing I'll say, because we're all old enough to remember these days. I mean, my goodness, guys had to get days off in a sixty in a sixty-game season. I mean, if you go back and look in the old old days, guys played 154 games. Plenty of guys played 154 games when it was 154 games. Lots of guys played 162. I just saw today that nobody, nobody played 60 games of a 60-game schedule. I think the high was 58. So again, to me, and maybe you'll tell me I'm just old-fashioned, but the notion that these guys, think of the uniforms those guys wear. I'm sure you guys wore them when you were young. The wool uniforms I wore in high school and oh, yeah. in semi-pro, 
I, I remember playing like 70, 80 games and saying, how do these guys play 162? My goodness. But everything is for the best now for these guys with chartered planes, which you didn't even have travel. Well, you did have traveling in baseball, of course. But again, the notion that if a pitcher comes out for like the seventh inning, he's a hero now. Or the eighth inning, he's a star. If he throws a complete game, oh my goodness. Um, so maybe that's another argument for seven innings. But in terms of the frequency of the play, Rick, I think the biggest um, problem, of course, is going to be pitching, pitching, pitching. And well, I think Ken is right in terms of, for example, the Yankees in the seven-game series. Do they have enough pitching? I think what they have, that a couple of teams have, is an incredible bullpen. And nowadays, you're really hoping the guy gives you five innings. If he gives you six, you're jumping for joy. Because a team like the Yankees, you know, they got five, six guys in the bullpen who are really, really good. Haven't had great seasons, of course, but they're really, really good. And it's really, this is really literally going to be what team is playing the best at the start of the playoffs who gets out of that first three-game series. Because I agree with you guys, there could be upsets galore in the first three-game series because it's a three-game series and anything can happen. Very much yeah. so. Very much so. And Ken, in looking at this here, I'm particularly uh, interested, again, like I said, from your decades of experience coaching, this is one of these things where I know that it's always one of these things where when you look at uh, your pitching, when you look at when to make changes and whatever, there, there's always the notion of living for today versus living for tomorrow. And you get into a series like this, how do you think it's going to uh, affect uh, the managerial process here when you're looking at this, when there are no days off, and if you're in a situation in a game that's high leverage, I mean, do you, do you basically risk burning out uh, guys for the rest of the series versus just to make it to another day? Or what, what are going to be some of the managerial considerations about no days off in the LDS and the LCS? Because this is something we're not used to seeing. Well, I... I think, well, here at Cleveland, I'm going back to Cleveland again, and this is my time. a good example, but, sure. Um, I, I think, well, I guess Frank Cohen is going to be around the dugout or around the, the players and stuff like that, but Alomar, he's never done anything like this. Right. But, uh, back to your question, and I'm going to preface it with my favorite manager, who I took a lot of, uh, a lot of my ways of doing it, right or wrong, sometimes wrong, was Billy Martin. And, Basically, he could lost the wall. Um, you know, three game series, and I've been in those four travel ball and things like that. That is a very short series. I mean, two games a year, bye bye. Yeah. So, um, so if you've got them, if you got your opponent down, you go for it. You just tear it up and uh, make sure they stay down. And uh, and right or wrong, sometimes it backfires, but. My my way I would do it and the way I think some of these guys would do it, of course I don't know. These guys uh, are professionals as far as managers go, is I would just bear it out. You've got to look at this not as a seven game series because it isn't, but it's a three game series. And you know, you lose game one, <laughs> you're up against it, it's over if you don't have yeah. game yeah. two. So but uh, yeah, I think and that as a fan that excites me. Yeah. Now we'll see what guys are ready to you know, pack their bags and go home, or which guys are really in. And, uh, you know, and, I can, and it's nice to see Miami and some of these other teams, too. I'm curious to see how they come about, like Maddenly with Miami, how he goes after it. Because they are the dog. Sure. Uh, but, oh, yeah. It's, so, it's a house money situation, absolutely. 
uh, for them. For the, for the White Sox, who are probably a year ahead of schedule, but it's not surprising they would make an eight-team field. Uh, it, that's that's an excellent. That's a couple of excellent points there, uh, Ken. And I, I think, yeah, I think teams will probably be aggressive in the in the way that you're describing, and it will make it fun and exciting to watch. A point that I had made to a friend of mine yesterday. Uh, which uh, I know, uh, I believe all three of us have been down to the newly restored League Park. Uh, but a uh, hundred years ago, it was the Indians and the, don't call them the Dodgers, it was the Brooklyn Robins at the time. Uh, Bill Wamsgantz with the unassisted triple play out there, and uh, the Indians over the Dodgers a hundred years ago. And uh, oh, how poetic that would be if we get this a hundred years later. But my preseason pick was Dodgers over Yankees. In the World Series, uh, I had said uh, Yankees over, I think it was the Twins in the ALCS. And again, that's going to depend on how the seeding goes if they end up on the quote-unquote same half of the bracket. I had said Dodgers over the Braves. I think they will probably be on opposite ends of the bracket, so I can probably stick to that one there. So I'm going to stay with what I said going in. I haven't really seen anything to dissuade me on that. The Yankees got off to a garbage start. They were looking like they could be iffy to even make this, and then, of course, they turned it on. Nobody has been hotter than them for much of the month of September. I'll stick with Yankees over Dodgers. Steve, I did the preseason uh, segment with you. Are you sticking to what you said then? Uh, I am, grudgingly, because I hate to go off what I have. I don't know that the Yankees could get through. Um, I think they can beat anyone, and they can lose to anyone. It's been that kind of up-and-down season. you got a guy like Sanchez who's not a great defensive catcher, as you guys know, hitting 151 for the year, where the reason he was um, stomached by the Yankees as a poor defensive catcher was his big bat. Um, he comes back to hit 10 home runs, and, you know, 10 home runs in this season comes out to 25 home runs. So I kind of looked at guys in double-digit home runs and just multiply it by, you know, doing math to get to 25. Um, but Kyle Bagashioka, who is their backup catcher, has become Gary Cole's personal catcher. And they work very well together, and Higashioka actually hit three home runs in one game, which no one ever thought that could happen in the history of the world. So I'm still going to pick the Yankees. I have them beating the A's um, in the final four, for lack of a better term. The A's have pretty good pitching, but their hitting has become so poor that their 224 season average going into the last day of the year is the lowest in the history of their franchise. Wow. They've hit 201 in September. <laughs> so you're not looking at, you know, their one big power guy is Matt Olson, who had 14 homers and 42 RBIs. He's hitting 199. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but, you know, they have this Chris Bassett, who was the number four or five starter at the beginning of the year. He's 5-2 and two with a 2.29 ERA. He might be their best. Sean Manaya is lined up to start the first game. He's 2.25 ERA over his last five starts. You know, they got Mike Fires who ratted out the Astros, who I think that's a good thing. Well, many people call him a traitor. I think that was a good thing. And he's been okay, and they got uh, Jesus Lazardo, but their strength, you know, they got a bunch of guys on the back end. This Liam Hendricks might be the best closer in the league this year. He's 3-1 and one with a 1.78 ERA and 14 saves. Um, they got a guy, Jake Deckman. With a 0.44 ERA, a lefty, he's given up one earned run, 20 appearances. He pitches like an inning every appearance. They got other guys, Soraya, Petit, TJ McFarlane. I mean, uh, I think it's 
true that you have to rely on the pitching, as Ken said, especially in these short series. And they're almost like the hitless wonders now, the A's. Uh, you know, um, Chapman, his, his year was over early. Um, but I'm going to, I haven't seen enough. I don't think these are the strongest, but I'm worried, of course, about Tampa Bay, who I thought pretty much manhandled the Yankees this year. Um, but that's why I'd almost like the Yankees. You know, if you had, if you had an eight seed win the World Series in baseball, that should be the end of baseball, in my opinion. But if the Yankees are the eight seed, and again, that can happen if they lose to the Indian Toronto wins, I think they'll be better off because it's kind of alluded to how many pitchers do the Yankees really, really have. You know, Gary Cole's a legit number one, of course, but Tanaka's been not great. Um, they got this rookie Garcia who might actually get a start in playoffs. 21 year old rookie who's pitched pretty well. J.A. Happ has been okay despite arguing with the manager when they take him out of games or stuff. But you know, the Yankees on the back end, again, we're talking about bullpen. So I'm almost picking the A's on the bullpen. I'm not picking the Yankees on the bullpen. But I like Zach Britton and Chad Green and Adovino and Chapman on the back end. I mean, they're relievers, are stud relievers. Um, and, you know, I got guys nobody talks about. This Clint Frazier has been, has been ripped off by the Yankees for four or five years now. He can never get into the lineup. He can never get into the lineup. He gets into the lineup now. You know, he's in like 280 with eight homes and these six RBIs and limited at bats. Watch how the ball comes off his bat because it's not like any others. They talk about his bat speed. Urshela, who everyone said was a freak last year because he was a 240 lifetime. He hit 314. Well, he's hitting 306 this year. You got Judge and Stanton at least healthy. Stanton strikes me as a Mississippi kicker. Judge strikes me as a good hitter who has more low balls on him called strikes than anybody in the world because he's 6'7". Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Luke Voigt led the league in home runs, led the the whole uh, baseball with 22 homers. The only guy with at least 20 and 52 RBIs was second, you know, in the uh, in the American League. And, of course, DJ LeMahieu is, is what a steal he's been for the Yankees. He should get a ton of money next year, but he's hitting 359. He's going to win the batting title. He's unbelievable. And even though I ragged on Gary Sanchez with his horrific 151 average, he did hit 10 home runs. You know, they got so many guys. Laboratories has had a bad year, but they have so many guys that if they put it all together, if they stay healthy, two big ifs, I think they win it all. I haven't done the National League now. You want me to wait on that, Rick? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I don't want to pick the Dodgers because they're the Dodgers. Before the season, I picked the Braves to beat the Dodgers. And I picked the Braves to beat the Dodgers because Soroka was a stud number one. I thought Max Freak could be a, a really good number two. Soroka, of course, tore his Achilles covering first base. How about that? He, he did the eternal play off the mound to cover first on a ground ball. He never got off the mound. He took two steps and fell down out for the season. But but Max Reed is a, I don't think he's going to win the Cy Young, but he's a Cy Young contender. He's 7-0, and and he's got an unbelievable curveball lefty. He's got an unbelievable curveball. But really, I think in terms of the Braves, uh, I think the reason I really like them, you know, Nick Markakis opted out and then watched the, I don't know how many games he watched, but it was like 15 games or something. And then he came back. And I think he hasn't played great, but he's been uplifting. Maybe he'll be totally into it by the playoffs. But they've got a big four, and I'm not counting Nick Markakis. Ozuna, 335, 430 on base, 625 for over 1,000 uh, OPS. 17 homers, 55 RBIs, tops 
you know, right near the top of the league. Acuna was terrible at the beginning of the year. He wound up hitting 14 home runs with 29 RBIs. He only batted 250, but his his on-base percentage, 406. Mm-hmm. You got Freddie Freeman, second in the league in hitting, 343 with a 465 OBP. So they've got three guys at 406, 430, and 465 OBP. And Ben B. former number one pick in the whole all of baseball, has come back to have a good year now with 10 home runs and 35 RBI. Um, they're pitching again after free. They got Ian Anderson, this rookie, who's 3-2 and two with a 1.95 ERA. He's only got six lifetime starts. They're going to throw him into the deep water. After that, Cole Hamels tried to come back. You know, it was supposed to be Soroka, Free, and Hamels. That's why I picked them before the year started. Soroka, after the season, Hamels tried to come back like a week or two ago, pitch one game, and he's done. So they have to go probably with a rookie, Kyle Wright, who's been okay in the last two starts you know, is 2-4 this year with a high ERA. Although, again, you shut out the Mets for six and two-thirds innings, and whatever you think of the Mets, they were a very good hitting team this year. So, you know, it's going to come down to their bullpen, but they also have an elite bullpen, Shane Green, Chris Martin, Melanson, A.J. Minter. Um, you know, they're really, really good. So, I don't want to go into the Dodgers too deeply. Obviously, they're the favorites. Obviously, Mookie Betts might be the MVP. You know, Mike Trout is number one player in the Major League Baseball by miles. And Mookie Betts, to me, is the number two player in the Major League by miles. And they've topped the ceiling in terms of uh, contracts. But the Dodgers are the Dodgers. I will say this. Walker Buehler just came back. He only threw one start before the playoffs. He's more of a stud in the playoffs than Clayton Kershaw, who traditionally has been a poor um a poor pitcher in the playoffs. Everybody tries to make it. He's going to be good. He's going to be good. He's good. He's going to be good. And if you look at his numbers, I've said, and I wonder what you'll think of this, Ken, I've said that in the regular season, to me, and I I think Koufax is the greatest pitcher who ever lived, but if you look at Clayton Kershaw's numbers in the regular season, he's almost Koufax-like. And But in the postseason, they can't see each other because no. Koufax had an under-one ERA, and Kirchhoff has been, to me, terrible, and I might move it down to very bad because he's been okay recently. But you can never rely on him, in my opinion, in the playoffs. So they might have a little trouble if Bueller isn't 100%. He pitched well the other day. I think he pitched like four innings, 65 pitches. Uh, but he's really, to me, their number one guy in the playoffs. So I just don't know. I've always been on the fence on Canley Jansen as a closer, although he's very good. Um, I just think there's enough. Uh, I'll say it again. If it was Soroka, Freed, and Cole Hamels, I'd love the Braves. <laughs> so I got the Braves beating the Dodgers to go to the World Series. I've got the Yankees beating the A's, and then I've got the Yankees beating the Braves in the World Series. All right, Ken. So uh, Steve says Yankees over Braves in the World Series. I say Dodgers over Yankees. Uh, how do you see it? Well, I see it. I'll go with, I'll start off with the AL again. I, uh, the team that really excites me is the Sox, and I know they're a year early, like you said, Rick. However, mm-hmm. I, I looked at their bullpen, and they got that guy Crochet in there, and they got a few other young ones that nobody expected to even be on this team mm-hmm. at this time. The guy was almost 100 miles watching it. Every pitch was 100 miles. Yeah. Plus. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, and to go along with what both of you said, I keep hearing this one thing that's constant. We've got a group. They've got a great bullpen. The White Sox have a great bullpen. This team, that team has a great bullpen. 
planted uh, the starting pitching in some cases because mm-hmm. that's what it's going to be all about. Is, and who doesn't have a, a decent, a great bullpen? If you don't have a great bullpen, like Steve was saying with the Yankees, you know, goodbye. See, right. I'll be surprised if you can move on. Uh, because that bullpen, really, they're going to have your bullpen. If they do the way I would manage or some managers do, they're going to sell it and throw everybody at you and just, you know, go. Um, I mean, why not, especially in a three-game series? But, um, so I've got my guard team with the White Sox, but I think Tiana's is going to beat them. Uh, I, the A's, eh, they hit those wonders, I guess, like you were saying. The team that scares me out of the AL to come out and play Tampa will be the Twins. Um, yeah. And uh, they can play good defense, and now they got starting pitching. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland goes two and out uh, against those guys because they just can't beat the Twins on a consistent basis. So yeah. I've got Tampa playing the Twins uh, coming out, and I'm just, gosh, I hate to call it the Twins because I haven't seen that much of Tampa. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll go with the Twins coming out. And I know this is my left hand that's speaking, and I'm a little bit odd like that. Okay, a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> in the NL, <laughs> I see uh, the Braves and the Cubs. I don't see the Cubs doing much. Um, right. I, you know, Steve's rattling off those numbers, which even solidifies what I was thinking. I see the Braves coming out of that bracket, playing the Dodgers. The thing that I might lean with Steve on as the Braves beating the Dodgers is because they don't have the pressure that the Dodgers have accumulated by going into the World Series and the playoffs the last few years. Right. Yeah. That pressure has to be tremendous. And not only with Kershaw, but with the whole team. And, you know, if they fall on their face again and the Braves come out, what happens to the Dodgers? Are they going to tear it down? Or they, where do you go from there? You've been at such a such a high level in the playoffs and the regular season. What you say, forty and seventeen or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's tremendous. Um, so I'm going to go with the Braves coming up against the Twins, and I'll have to go with the Braves to beat them. Wow. Okay. Very I feel better now about my pick of the Braves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen. You, you threw me over the top there with that one, and I was I was right there. But I was flipping a coin as you were talking back and forth and back and forth and see how many times of my heads versus the jail. And then Steve, you come in and you twisted my arm and you gave me stats. Like I mentioned earlier, baseball is so full of stats, which means I'm totally obvious. Because uh, when the playoffs come, who knows? Well, yeah. And, and look, I got the Braves going to the LCS also, uh, too. So I, I have the Braves going pretty far, albeit not as far as uh, you gentlemen, but yeah, so much interest, so much intrigue lying ahead based on how this is going and how this is going to unfold, and uh, I'll, I'll just bring it all the way around here on a 2020 note in, in looking at this here, that you talk about the Dodgers, how long have they been uh, expected to really do something? Let us not forget the dawn of the career of Clayton Kershaw, you're talking back around 08 when they still had Matt Kemp 
in there. The Dodgers have been knocking on the door for 12 years now. Uh, and people yeah, talked wow. about, you know, uh, the, the whole thing about the, the economic crash we've had in 2020. And, oh, it took us many, many years to get through the Great Recession. Uh, the Dodgers have been on the verge of doing something since the Great Recession, 2008. They were in the NLCS in 20, 2008 and 2009. I was just referencing this recently, how much I loved having Tommy Lasorda on the show because I knew he would give me a straight answer. It was in 09, right? I knew like anybody else in baseball would not have given me a straight answer, but I did. And I said, you know, going into the playoffs here, Clayton Kershaw, are you going to kind of need him to do like Josh Beckett in 03 and sort of pitch beyond his years and sort of be his future self? Are you going to be leaning on him like that? Anybody else in baseball would have been like, I don't want to put that kind of pressure on the kid. And Tommy Lasorda was like, yeah, pretty much that's the case. Yeah, we're going to need him to step up. <laughs> so, so guys, there there aren't many teams in the history of baseball that have been knocking on the door and have been consistently there. I know the Dodgers took a year or two off in the mid-2010s here when they had to kind of retool. But by and large, it's been a straight line for them for 12 years of trying to inch further and further and further. And they've made it as far as the seventh game of the World Series in 2017 on home turf, no less, and still couldn't get it done. So the odds are against me in picking them to uh, break through this year. But I'll just justify it by saying 2020 is a weird year. And the team that is both the team that hasn't been able to get it done when it counts and is the favorite on paper, I will count on that team doing it in the year 2020 to cap off the weirdness. But... Uh, uh, as expected, a uh, tremendous conversation uh, in honor of our good friend Don Coster. By the way, the two previous ones, this is mini-episode 1281, of course. 961 was our 2018 tribute to Don slash 2018 MLB preview. And in tw 2019, that was mini-episode 1100, which, as I commented at the time, was very fitting because 1100 uh, is the long-time AM frequency of the Cleveland Indians. I think Don would have smiled yeah. about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> he would have, yeah. but... You know, uh, Steve and Ken both, uh, I just can't thank you guys enough for all that this has been uh, in this conversation today. I'm very grateful to both of you guys for being a part of this. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1281.